Chris Hodges wasn't just some ignorant, lower-class buffoon who took the easy way out of life. No, Chris Hodges had talent. In addition to being physically superior to many of his classmates, Chris Hodges was a writer of some notable talent. I consider myself to be a more than adequate judge of literary acumen, having been a voting member of the Nordum Committee, which awards the prestigious Tallahassee Literary Awards. And I say to you now, that if Chris Hodges had submitted either his fiction or poetry to our junior division prior to taking his own life, he would have had a pretty good chance of placing his work in the award-giving bracket. In fact, if my plan to create a posthumous category is approved by the committee, one of the first people I'll nominate for one of our prestigious awards will be none other than Chris Hodges. After sifting through Chris's material and studying his work with a fine-tooth comb, I feel that I am familiar with the work of this doomed genius. His work had a complexity and deepness of feeling that few so young ever have had. I feel privileged to have discovered such a prodigious and prolific talent. Too bad I couldn't have found him sooner. Maybe I could have talked him into extending his literary career, much to the benefit of the rest of the country and, I dare say, the rest of the world. As it is, Chris Hodges left us with only one fictional story, and of course the fictional suicide note, several dozen poems, and the notes and concepts for numerous further projects that he was never able to complete. I am saddened by this loss and the loss of whatever future projects his wonderful imagination would have produced. I feel we owe it to Chris to examine his body of work as he completed it, and not to sully his good name by leaving out these expressions of genius. So, for your listening pleasure, and it will be your pleasure, and in the memory of the genius that was Chris Hodges, I present to you the works of Chris Hodges. The first selection is Chris's only purely fictional work, a short story entitled simply, Roger. Roger, by Chris Hodges. Roger Maxwell had prepared for this moment his entire life. Ten years of his time were spent on training for this moment. Being a member of the first manned spacecraft to travel through the solar system had been his lifelong dream. The ship he was traveling on, the USS Constitution, had recently arrived at the planet Jupiter and was now in orbit around the moon Titan. Titan had been chosen for exploration because of the fact that it had a surface containing water and thus was the most likely place in the solar system, other than Earth of course, to have developed some form of life. It was Roger's job to find out whether or not Titan did have life. To do so, Roger was to take an experimental landing craft that possessed undersea capabilities as well as being able to handle some limited space travel. The craft was large, bulky, and slow due to the fact that the technology that made the vehicle's existence possible was relatively new. The trip would be uncomfortable and dangerous for Roger, but the possibility of the first person to find life somewhere other than Earth made him breathless with anticipation. The long voyage to Titan did nothing to lessen his anticipation. Rather, it made Roger grow more and more tense with each passing day. The possibility of finding new life on Titan not only excited Roger, it also scared him to death. Would the new life forms be hostile? Would they be anything like what humans had encountered before? Would they be intelligent? Roger had spent many sleepless nights on the flight through the darkness of space with only the light of the stars to keep him company. The massive ship Roger was traveling on contained a large crew and their family members, all of whom were willing to spend the rest of their lives in space. But Roger didn't have any family and the only friends he had ever made were back on Earth. He found that space could be very lonely. Cryogenics allowed the voyagers to sleep the years of the trip away while still retaining their youth, or semi-youth. Some of the crew were awake at all times to pilot the ship, monitor the life to support systems on the cryogenic chambers, and to explore and investigate each heavenly body the ship came upon. 
Many of the crew members would sleep for years while other members ran the ship's functions. Computers could have handled any of the functions with minimal effort, but the crew was not so ready to turn things over to a ship's automatic systems. After a computer virus destroyed Earth's information superhighway in the early 30s, people weren't so ready to put their trust in computers anymore. The passengers surely weren't going to put their lives in the hands of a computer without a human failsafe. Despite orders to the contrary, Roger didn't sleep a wink the night before his departure. After tossing and turning for several hours, he decided to give up trying. He went to walk around the ship while even the regular crew was asleep. After several more restless hours, it was his wake-up time. At breakfast, Roger was quiet as he picked at his reconstituted eggs and bacon. He downed three cups of black coffee while ignoring the good luck wishes of his crewmates. After pacing around his quarters for a half an hour, he was debriefed by the ship's captain. Then it was time to go. Roger could feel his stomach churning as he went into the mission reading room. He stripped down just to his underpants and could feel the sweat running down his body. Hot flashes ran through his body and he wondered if he was getting sick. After deciding that it was just nervousness, he kept going. He pulled on his launch suit and pulled the helmet over his head. He strapped the buckles and took a deep breath. He began to wonder again about the possibilities of the impending excursion. Would all his equipment work okay? Would he come back alive? A loud voice snapped out of his daydream. It was the mission chief telling him to board the landing craft. Roger trudged onto the ship and strapped himself in. After a thorough and methodical systems check, the ship was ready. Roger felt as if he was going to throw up, but he also felt more excited than he felt in his entire life. The time had finally come. Roger was going to discover new life. Roger began to relax as the countdown reached zero. The ship slowly pulled out of the launch bay of the Constitution. As it began to accelerate, Roger began to feel exhilarated. A warm feeling swept over his entire body as he began to feel good. For the first time since they had left Earth so many years ago, Roger felt safe, and he felt that the mission was going to succeed. Roger Maxwell was going to be in the history books, the first man to find life on another planet. Roger couldn't have been more happy. George McCormick had prepared for this moment his entire life. Being a member of the first spacecraft to successfully try to find life on the moon Titan had been his lifelong dream. The ship he was traveling on, the USS Roger Maxwell, had recently arrived at Titan and was now in orbit around the moon. He had spent many years training for this trip. He had studied every aspect of the first manned mission to Titan in search of life. He studied every aspect of why the mission failed. It wasn't difficult to figure out what had happened. The famed Polaris virus, the story of Earth's information superhighway had found its way onto commuter systems aboard the landing craft. The computer failed to alert the pilot, Roger Maxwell, that there were some loose tiles in the ship's bulkhead. For the first time since the Space Shuttle Challenger had exploded, an American spacecraft was destroyed in liftoff. George didn't want to be the next, so he was going to check everything for himself. The first time I read this moving and intelligent little story, I was flabbergasted. How could one so young create such a masterpiece? And what future works of brilliance had we all missed? God only knows. We do know, however, what kinds of ideas Chris had for future fiction works. And he had some strange ideas. Wonderful ideas, but strange nonetheless. I found out about the strange and wonderful story ideas among the poems and notes that Chris's parents allowed me to sift through in preparation for creating this podcast. It appears, however, that most of the time Chris spent writing was spent writing poetry. This was where Chris's real talent lay. He was prolific, proficient, and particularly talented in the poetic realm. 
Among the papers I obtained from the Hodges family, I found 50 full-length poems that are among the best work I have ever read, and, being the poetic connoisseur that I am, I've read quite a bit of poetry. Without a doubt, Chris Hodges was better at the age he died than many poets more than twice his age. His work showed depth, emotion, fear, passion, hatred, and an insight into the world that belied his limited years. Included here are some of the best poems Chris wrote. After reading and rereading the entire collection, these are the pieces that I felt best portrayed the breadth and depth of Chris's work. Chris mostly wrote poems of a free verse style. They were somewhat short and almost all gloomy and dark. Darkness permeated Chris's life and it permeated his work as well. Some of his poems included biting social commentary, such as this first selection, We Are They. We Are They by Chris Hodges. As if you need to ask, we are they. Shut your mouth, fool. Do as we say. We are always right. People talk about us all the time. 50 million Elvis fans can't be wrong. Are you out of your mind or are they? You know, as in they say this, they say that. Don't wear that shirt. Don't wear this hat. Don't date that girl. Don't date that boy. Don't read that book. Don't buy that toy. Listen to us. This is no jest. You can't think for yourself. We always know best. We are they, as if you needed to ask. You want to know what is our task? To tell you what you can see, what you can say, what you can hear, how you can pray. We know what free speech is, what is obscene, how you should raise your kid. We answer to no one, because we are they. Shut your mouth, fool. Do as we say. Why? Because we are they. For such a young man, it is difficult for me to understand how he could understand society so well. It is also symptomatic of his personal problems that at a young age he was already extremely cynical, even if the words he wrote are true. Much of his work dealt with those that he looked up to, particularly Kurt Cobain. The poem Champagne and Sedatives paints a portrait of Cobain that is eerily similar to Chris's own situation, except for the aspect of being the voice of a lost generation, which did not really apply to Chris that much until after his death with the explosive growth of the cult in his name. Champagne and Sedatives by Chris Hodges. Youth gone wild, chronicle of the pain, and voice of a lost generation, expected to lead the army of youth to the promised land. A responsibility so great, but not wanted or embraced, pressure building and building closer in on his brain. Fear, fear invading his soul, driving him insane, looking for escape, trying to find a way out of his own fame, beat his lovely wife out of frustration, heroin for sweet escape. Champagne and sedatives knocked him out, took him away, but he came back for one last try, for one last chance, with Francis and love, but he still couldn't take it, still couldn't make it. Looking for his own nirvana, he pulled the trigger and escaped the pain. In light of later events, I feel that Chris might have approved of Cobain's choice of endings. Chris may have denied or tried to separate himself from the comparison, but he did follow in Cobain's footsteps. Even if Chris's own suicide was not inspired by Cobain, it certainly wasn't prevented by Cobain either. Another group of poems that Chris wrote seemed to revolve around the events of the night of his disappearance. Chris dated each poem he wrote. Based on the timing and subject of the following works, something sinister occurred on the night of March 15, 1994. These writings hint at what it was. Blood. 
by Chris Hodges. My God, it's everywhere. On the bed, on the floor, on the wall, on the door, in the hall, in the curtains, in my head. Still there's more where it all came from. I don't know whose blood it is. I won't show. It scares the hell out of me. I think I know why. It's everywhere. It shouldn't be. I think I'm going to cry. Or maybe I'll be sick. I can't look anymore. Maybe it's only a trick. No, it's still on the floor. Haunting me. Out damn spot! What have I done? What have I wrought? Haunting me. Still I hold the gun. He had it coming. I couldn't pull things together. Still, it haunts me. This blood will forever. Echoing the sentiments of Lady Macbeth, Chris implies that blood was involved with whatever happened that night. Based on the poems alone, it is unclear that these works point to a real-life event or are a mere fictional creation. It is also unclear whether or not the poems are metaphorical or literal. If they are literal and real, what could Chris have been involved with that led him to see, hear about, or participate in the violence against the he mentioned in blood? Bamboo by Chris Hodges. It's snowing on Tuesday. I'm wishing on a star. Wicked phantasms steal my soul. Won't you kill them all? These are the moments to remember. Alone in the bamboo, forging my bows and arrows. Here in the coven of strangers, don't forget to not remember. Be careful of your desires, for if ye ask, ye shall receive. While I hide among the pandas, I am a refugee from the echo. In this forest of flies, and like these imperiled bears, I must subsist on the bamboo that is my prison. I can't make it over these paper walls. I can't hear it when the frozen bird calls. And won't you help me? Don't you know me? These illusions call for me. They all fall for me. I must make a choice. I can't hear your voice over this damned echo. Through these cursed flies, among these rare beasts, in this bamboo prison. Bamboo, like many of the last poems that Chris Hodges wrote, contains the elements that were to appear in anything Chris created at the end of his life. Fear, desperation, pain, and what appears to be declining mental health. Bamboo also contains a very specific call for help. It's simple enough that I can recognize it. Too bad no one else could. Flying also contains elements of sadness and indescribable pain. Flying by Chris Hodges. I am falling through the endless neon sky. Through the first time in my life, I am beginning to fly. The birds are jealous because I pass them by and the clouds are so lovely. I begin to cry and I stop to rest on the wing of a plane. But then once again, I take off and fly. I know not the reason, but once again, I cry. The more that Chris wrote dark, despairing poems, the better he got at it. Without begins Chris's use of images so stark that they are frightening, beginning with the person without vocal cords. Chris also talks of feelings of loss and pain in a way that few modern poets have. Without by Chris Hodges. You walk into the room 
without any vocal cords. And I wondered what kind of song you would sing if only you had the time. He walked into the room without any eyes. And I wondered what kind of picture he would paint if you only had the desire. He walked into the room without any love. And I wondered what kind of life you would live if you only had the heart. In this next poem, The Man on the Corner, Chris has mastered the art of disturbing the reader. This poem, which was written a year before his death, predicted real life in a way that it seems unlikely even Chris understood at the time. It is doubtful that the young man planned his death for a year. The poem must have had a direct line into his subconscious fears and nightmares. The Man on the Corner by Chris Hodges. The man on the corner stares at me, taps the ash from his cigarette. Then he remembers he doesn't smoke. The man on the corner laughs at me, hysterical laughter, but then he realizes it's not a joke. The man on the corner yells at me, screams at the top of his lungs, but then he notices he can't be heard. The man on the corner cries for me, tears till his eyes run dry. Then he understands I'm already dead. Much of Chris's work repeated the same themes of sorrow, pain, and cynicism. American Brain Cancer by Chris Hodges. My head hurts, a sharp, biting pain, sort of like a migraine. Sweat is pouring off my forehead. I wish I were in bed. It's not a rumor. I've got a brain tumor, and slowly I think I'm gonna die. Listen to me, and I'll tell you why. All this shit is catching up with me. We want our money. Better pay your bills, or we'll reprocess your life. Better be on time. Can't be late. Brother, can you spare a dime? Friday night, have no date. Must work overtime just to pay the bills. Can't stop to breathe. Just pop more pills. Gotta make that deadline. Standing on the street corner, wallowing in the rain, waiting for the late city bus. Who do you trust? Holes in the soles of my souls. A hole of the hole of my soul. My head hurts. My feet are soaking wet. And with each passing second, I slip further into debt. As time went on, more and more of Chris's work also pointed to the idea that something was eating at Chris. Something was bothering him. In his work, he didn't reveal much about what his problems were beyond the poem Blood. But there were numerous hints dropped. The Clock by Chris Hodges The ticking of the clock reminds me of you. The ticking of the clock tells me we're through. The ticking of the clock drowns out the driving rain. The ticking of the clock brings back the pain. The ticking of the clock is driving me insane. The ticking of the clock makes every day feel the same. The ticking of the clock makes me call out your name, calls out your name too. The ticking of the clock reminds me of you. Beginning with blood and continuing through a number of other works, such as Gun, violence also became a major theme in Chris's poetry. It is difficult to tell whether this violence is aimed at himself or at others. The poems are not clear on the matter. At times, such as blood, the violence is outward. Poems like Gun point the violence inward. Gun by Chris Hodges. I've got a gun. I know how to use it. You think I'm crazy? 
What you see is what you get. Just raise my hand and aim this little gun. Don't mess with me, I'm just having fun. Pull the trigger, watch the bullet fly. Who cares about death? No one here is gonna cry. Watch it hit him. Now he's dead. Lonely, frightened soldier. This war is going to his head. And another victim to the growing body count. Add another victim to his growing self-doubt. I've got a gun and I know how to use it. I'm losing my soul if I hadn't already lost it. Chris also had a penchant for questioning reality and society. He seemed to be asking why the things that happened to him did. Stay Away echoes We Are They in its inquiry into societal problems. It is also another example of Chris's Kurt Cobain obsession, as both the title and the content refer to the Nirvana singer and guitarist. Stay Away by Chris Hodges. What to do, what to say, where to go, where to play. Who am I? Who are you? You are I, and I am you. Listen to the band, listen to the man. Walk through the door, say no more. Corner grocery store, no hassle, no fuss. Food for the night, change for the bus. Bag of potato chips, gallon of fruit juice, three lottery tickets, and the daily news. Looking high into the sky, mosquito bug. Dropped the jug, juice on his pants, feet on the ground, killer fruit loops, don't make a sound, wind on the windowsill, shotgun in the car, easel in the den, painting of the scars, better than the real thing, never goes away, doesn't see the sights, doesn't know what to say, singing in the shower, quarter till forever, feeling kind of dumb, feeling kind of clever, don't forget, when you pull the trigger, I'll shoot your gun at the lonely one. Don't miss. Only one bullet. Only one try. Only one moment. Can't pay the rent. Listen to the music. Listen to the song. Lock the door. Say no more. I am you. And you are I. Who are you? And who am I? Where to go. Where to play. What to do. What to say. Drinking malt liquor. Feeling kind of high. From a picture on the wall. I saw Kurt wave goodbye. The last work that Chris did began to point towards suicide. All along, there were suicide references in his work, but it wasn't until the last six months before he died that killing himself became an almost constant presence in his poetry. I wonder what would have happened to Chris if anyone had seen these works before his death. Could someone have helped him? Would he still be alive today? We'll never know. Runner's High by Chris Hodges. Me. I'm gonna OD, and there's nothing you can do that you can't stop, so don't even try. I'm not gonna die. I think I'd rather fly high into the moonlit sky. Take a little of this, take a little of that, take a little more of this, take a whole lot more of that. Then it will all be better. Nothing else will matter. And I'll be mad as a hatter, dipped in deep fry batter. I'll keep on running until I can't run no more. Then I'll keep on crawling till I can't crawl no more. Then I'll keep on flying till I can't fly no more. Then I'll keep on dying till I can't die no more. Even Chris's attempts at levity, such as arachnophobia, are laced with darkness and suicidal thoughts. What starts out as a nonsense poem quickly turns into a cry for help and a statement that life is no longer worth living. I find it to be one of Chris's most moving works. Arachnophobia by Chris Hodges. Fire in the sky, 
liver in the streets, I don't want to die. Icicles in my ears. What's your sign? I'm on a mission of mercy going back by nine. Razor blades in my cereal, arachnophobia in my fear, suicide in my closet, feeling sick, got no beer. Lightning in my hair, bats in my belfry, celery causes my blindness, they're burning down my tree. Chris seemed to be putting a lot of pressure on himself as well. Company Stride uses a sports metaphor to express the pressure Chris felt in his daily life. This poem was written a week before his death and was the last poem he ever wrote. Company Stride by Chris Hodges. Walking through this jungle of trees and buildings, a river of iron and steel flowing on my left. And I think of a girl and I think of the world. And I think of another girl and I think of another world. And I see the snow, yet I live in a tropical city. I speak of the cold, yet no one asked me. And I try to catch the bus, but it's no use. And I think of another girl with whom I tied my own noose. And I try to catch my breath with the catcher's mitt. And I think of myself, is this as cold as it gets? And the writing on the wall reads like a cheap romance novel. Robert, love angle forever and ever. And I wonder where the wet cement is whenever I wish to write such message or love letter. And what comes next on this road to oblivion? Where will my wandering feet take me next? And how do I rise above this fray? And how do I continue writing the text? And that constant pain has come again to kill me. So I take comfort in its warmth and be all I can be. It's fourth and goal. Hope I don't fumble walking through this jungle. These aren't the complete works of Chris Hodges, but they are the best. A mind like his would have undoubtedly produced more works of such high caliber, but alas, that was not to be. I, for one, am deeply saddened that we won't get to see his talent bloom into the greatness it surely would have achieved. I am Jim, Stormy Weathers, and you have been listening to the seventh chapter of All-American, A True Crime Podcast. Charles Lasky as Chris Hodges. Kenneth Quinnell as writer, director, and the character of Jim Stormy Weathers. <laughs>